0: Welcome to Curveball DeFi. On today's podcast, we have the pleasure of having Bernard Vogel. Bernard has a degree in business administration from Purdue and an MBA from Babson Graduate School of Business. At the beginning of his career, he worked as a vice president for EcoPlant Bamboo Central America. And in today's podcast, we will learn how he was able to become a great leader and establish his position as a senior associate at VU Ventures Partners founding member and investor in Sweater, and a global expert in console Ventures. Thank you again so much for coming on to today's podcast, Bernard. And we'd like to start off, if you could tell us a little bit more about your background and how that has shaped your current career today.
1: Of course, uh, glad to be here and thank you for inviting me and yeah, the, my my background, it's uh, as a result of my, my father's uh, long career as an agronomist, de- developing projects throughout Latin America, Africa, Asia. And before the age of eight, I had lived in six countries already. One of them was the Philippines, uh, where I would spend my days playing with the local kids and running away from my nanny, uh, Agrippina was her name, uh, uh, a charming Philippine native that taught me the, the native language Tagalog which was the first language I, I ever learned actually. <laughs> My parents today, they, they joke that they, this quickly turned into a problem since I wasn't able to communicate with them, both uh, being bilingual in English and Spanish, but uh, mostly, uh, and also being raised in a country with uh, unparalleled natural beauty uh, like uh, in, in La- Nicaragua, uh, but sadly one that's also struggling to overcome uh, extreme poverty. After years ignoring the living standards of people in my country, they started to affect me. And I've always been fond of finding new avenues to tackle traditional problems, working in some of the poorest corners of the world and most underdeveloped countries, from the poor village of Arama on the eastern coast of Nicaragua to Arbegona, located in the south of Addis Ababa in Ethiopia. And I found, I found a universal similarities that individuals that inhabit these areas have all been denied a choice and opportunity, whether it's a lack of food, water, healthcare, education, or feeling powerless to make changes. And these people really survive on a day-to-day basis. And for example, if a farmer gets fired, passes away, or the, the company they, they work in shuts down, they, their lack of savings and credit pretty much buries the whole family into a war situation. And and this all started giving me a sense of perspective and and really kind of compassion for, for other people of the world. That giving I really feel fortunate to have had, had the, these experiences and and having this opportunity to to be in roles that have allowed me to travel to over 35 countries. And where I've learned that we all share a A common interest. And and, and I strongly believe it's in the cross-pollination of all these things, the backgrounds, cultures, ideas, where best business outcomes are achieved. And I've always been really passionate about bringing people together and working towards a common goal.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for that beautiful intro. And it's quite amazing that you are able to travel so much for work as well as see the way that other people are working in different parts of the world. One of the most important parts of being an entrepreneur is the fact that you're able to see issues, not only that are happening in your country. And one thing that I've realized as I've spoken to people around the whole world is that the issues that we have in America are so minuscule compared to the issues that people have around other parts of the world. So I think it's quite amazing and brave that you've been able to try to fight and fix those issues as opposed to those little ones that we have here in America that are like the big money grabs that we have here. I wanted to ask you about what role education has played in your life. And you ended up getting your bachelor's, as we mentioned, uh, from Purdue. And then you decided to stop working and then get your master's. And then you went back into work. So can you talk a little bit more about like your decision going into getting your master's and how that has affected you?
1: Yeah, I think... uh... Perhaps two things that drove me to, to, towards getting my, my master's. I, I was 23. I had already been in a, heavily involved in a startup where we raised over $40 million. And I was working at the moment. It was valued at around $100 million. And meeting investors at least one, one week out of every month, it, it kind of takes a, a toll being so, so young. And I hired over 400 people and part of the team that developed the largest bamboo plantations in the world today. There was so much on my shoulders that I knew the responsibility, the responsible thing to do was uh, for season management to take over the next phase and of the operations as much as I enjoyed and loved my time there. I wanted to continue growing and adding value. And secondly, after the uh, Almost a year-long trip that I went to Africa, I-, I knew that there was a lot more I could do to, to really be heavily involved in showing and communities in Latin America, the private sectors, and major companies that alleviation of poverty can occur by heavy emphasis on sustainable development, technology, and taking pressure off scarce natural resources. Uh, and most underdeveloped countries, they tend to have their most successful professionals uh, working abroad. Since developed countries, they offer better compensation and further opportunities to develop their careers. So during my period in the States, I, I noticed this firsthand and I went to get my master's also to kind of work as a, a bridge and build awareness and show people how environmental issues are also social issues and the potential of creating and and how these issues can have the potential of creating natural catastrophes, such as hurricanes and landslides. And I'm convinced that in order to leave this mentality behind, uh, we can start by having our most qualified professionals fighting for the rights of minorities on the business side, uh, small enterprises and uh, large businesses, creating companies that are committed to quality product and services uh, with attainable models focused on core values that will provide fair shares to stakeholders, but also to keep a balance between uh, what they take and, and the, the care they, they leave for the people on the planet.
0: Yeah, for sure. And that's really important. And what you've been able to accomplish with EcoPlan both so early in your career, how did it feel once you were raising capital and how did you, first of all, become vice president of operations so early on in your career?
1: Mostly, well, basically, you know, a startup is always, it's, it starts really thin with the, the funding it has. But I just started developing my an entrepreneurial mindset at, at an early age. And I, I met through an acquaintance, a CEO of EcoPlan Bamboo when it was just an idea. And being being in Purdue and Chicago being very close, uh, I I met with him a couple of times, and and he told me he was picking on leadership, and he wanted me to give him my opinion, and I quickly realized, you know, he was kind of uh, testing me, you know, and after a month of going back and forth with him, uh, he sent me an email with three goals uh, for the year. I I remember. And uh, it was uh, basically to choose the country where we could establish the initial operations, considering all the necessary factors that would uh, attract investors and pick pick the leadership team team and support staff. Lastly, make a monthly budget cash requirements for the first two goals I had and, and put together the marketing material to raise funds. And I knew that I could do all these things and not at the moment how, but I had the initiative and he was testing me to see if I had the problems uh, solving skills and perseverance to adapt quickly to new situations, execute, and be accountable for key tasks. So the, the next two months after that, I spent you know getting rejected from different agencies uh, throughout uh, from Peru all the way to to Mexico, a U.S. Embassy there, and they did not see the project feasible until one day, uh, the investment advisor to the president of Nicaragua uh, at that time. He asked me, what well, hasn't it been, been done? And I responded, uh, I'm waiting for your approval. you know. And uh, he proceeded to put me in contact with the relevant agencies to um, constitute the company and started the project. After spending um, the first few months uh, presenting to the project ambassadors, government agencies, and key stakeholders, I developed a sense of confidence interacting with, with these people and all levels uh, of the organizations and walks of life. I think it's just playing these multiple roles until we had uh, the, the adequate team and sure to see C- the CEO that uh, I was a forward looking and kind of an initi- initiator and, and able to reduce missing gaps and complexity.
0: Yeah, makes sense. And right away, it sounds quite amazing what you were able to achieve and going from not getting any calls to getting to raising $40 million so early in your career. How did that feel and how did you react?
1: It's obviously comes with a a lot of responsibility. It's overwhelming at a point. And then it's really something that uh, you feel grateful because you, you you're basically providing an opportunity for, for others to have work opportunities. But at the same time, you have so many questions in your mind of how are you uh, going to do, do some things and, and, that you still haven't really found the right answer for. And I've always based a lot of my decisions on people with the right domain and knowledge on, on the field and, and right advisors and mentors that have been key in my development.
0: Sounds really interesting. And the fact that you were able to do such great work with your first startup it quite leads to the pivot that you made, where you became an advisor for several startups. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit more about that topic. Why did you want to become an advisor for startups, and what benefits did those startups have by adding you?
1: I, I really I think it's it's super important, you know, to share experiences with people. And I've always been involved in, you know, in the entrepreneurial ecosystem and. and in nicaragua back then and uh, i i i really feel that startups are nothing more than an engine and that can have an impact on society and if you uh, where you really hear people that are betting their their lives their uh, friends and their families uh, and uh, on a transformative idea or on a concept they really believe in and you can be part of what that transformation uh, might look like by adding your grain of values and, uh, you know, and supporting them. As, so that's something that I think has a lot of power.
0: Yeah. And for sure, I definitely agree with what you were talking about with startups, how they are kind of a convention and they're pushing all this creativity out. And you are working right now for uh, VU Ventures and... One of the things that does benefit is when you work for a VC, you have a lot of really cool ideas coming up. And I'd like to know like a little bit like more about that and specifically what you're interested in and what excites you about working with VU.
1: What what, what excites me about working with VU is just the, the fact that we're, we invest globally, we're a, a generalist fund and that's, Mostly learning from very knowledgeable general partners and people that I wouldn't have uh, access to uh, otherwise, I really like the fact that it's a very it's a fund that uh, focused a lot on uh, leveling the playing field in venture capital you know, for for other for other people and at the same time, you know it's one of a very curious leadership team and always thinking at 20 years ahead. Uh, just fascinating to, to learn from these these individuals and what they've done and yeah. what they plan to do and I that I'm uh, excited about i say and um, decentralized finance I think it's, it's su- super interesting everything that's going on and you know from the earliest uh, of market exchange you know it was barter peer-to-peer it, w- it was highly inefficient because it's supply and demand the uh, to be exactly matched between peers to solve the solid matching problem, money was introduced as a medium of exchange and store value. Initial types of money uh, were not centralized. Agents accepted any number of items uh, such as stones, shells, in exchange for goods. Uh, eventually, we we turned into specie money or coins. That's a type of metal uh, which the currency had t- had tangible value. And today we have a the fiat currency is non collateral or collateralized. Um, controlled by central banks, where whereas the form of money has changed over time, the basic infrastructure of financial institutions hasn't changed. And there's a uh, the scaffolding uh, for this emerging uh, revolutionary disruption uh, on the infrastructure of uh, all financial services. Uh, I think is what DeFi is trying to do, and, and is is challenging and combining uh, open source uh, financial building blocks to into sophisticated products with less friction, increased value to users. And uh, given its cost, uh, it costs no more to provide services to a customer with $100 or $10 million in, in, in assets. I really believe it's, it will replace all meaningful financial infrastructures in the future.
0: Yeah, I mean, 100% agree. And being in the position where you are uh, living in Miami, that's like the spot to be when it comes to innovation and thinking 20 years into the future, there's a lot of startups that are based out of Miami. I know they have the startup that's focusing on flying cars with the and several others there. So what are some of the benefits that Miami has when it comes to exciting new innovation?
1: I'm really an optimist about Miami. Uh, I don't believe uh, nor any other city can really replicate what, what exists in Silicon Valley, or or do they need to? You know, also and about fifty years ago, the evolution of tech led by Stanford and UC Berkeley, the largest technology companies in the world, and the VC community there—it's really something very different. But this is especially true today, where most venture funds are having a difficult time raising limited partner money. I remember in two thousand eight when the market crashed, the Northeast stopped uh, investing while the the Silicon Valley doubled down their investments. Now uh, the the venture venture capital ecosystem and and the Northeast uh, is now years behind the the Valley and may never catch up, uh, unfortunately. But it's really a, a region by itself. However, Miami uh, uh, has really have underestimated, the people in Miami mostly have underestimated what what it takes to be a technology company, which is why we witnessed the rise and fall of just every Silicon Beach venture. Many of these companies were founded by and built uh, when the venture money was flowing. They lacked business models and burned money on senseless and eyeball acquisitions. There was no Silicon and most of the innovation was consumer marketing and not technology. I always tell people Miami does not need a duplicate Silicon Valley, but rather understand and play to its strength while leveraging the, the the Valley wherever it can. And so if you look at Silicon Valley has always been great at building technologies that underpin innovation, Miami and really lacks a Stanford or, you know, and to to build and produce the top computers, scientists, engineer required to compete on a purely technological level. In addition, and, although it's already starting to build the, the ecosystem of companies and professionals repair, it has an incredible opportunity to apply these technologies into something where they can get an edge. And I think uh, I've always been fascinated by how it's a great bridge uh, to Latin America and the rest of the world and, and con- converge cultures.
0: Yeah. Miami is a great city and there's a lot always going on there. It's kind of like the center of cryptocurrency and I know luxury goods as well. One thing that is hard about Miami is the fact that there's so many different sectors there, and you really have to focus on a specific sector. But for you being a generalist and investing in all different types of innovative technology, how do you manage to stay atop and actually understand each of the sectors?
1: I think all uh, ventures, I mean, um, all startups, they all have a Key areas where, uh, as an investor, you have to focus on, and there's usually three uh, three things that matter the most in delivering uh, substantial returns. And, and in my experience, they are, uh, you know, the founder is he committed no matter what. Since most startups uh, fail, the first sign of opportunity for an investor is that the team will not quit. quit you know, it will succeed somehow. Is the cus- company customer or market oriented? Most startups are customer oriented and they focus on sales, they their narrow market and driving more revenue. Such startup they create competitors and and, and struggle to scale to a substantial market share. And so is, is marketing the first priority, or is or is it how the business drives leads? You know, is there a team or, or of a couple or more founders, advisors, and capable ex- executors and that Will keep the founder uh, leveled, and founder uh, the founder alone and won't we'll, we'll succeed. You know, so I always keep these things in mind. And uh, we are generalist fund, uh, fun, but we are, for example, my focus is mainly fintech and uh, crypto and prop tech. So, and um, each uh, member of the team has a specific focus.
0: Yeah. Currently, right now, what the sector that I'm most interested in is the prop tech sector. Coming from a civil engineering background and being like being in New York City, there's so much construction going on and prop tech startups and all these really cool engineering companies that are coming up are quite exciting. Are there any prop tech startups that you're excited about?
1: There's so many and. Um there's there's so many startups that that are really democratizing real estate and making it accessible for all there's one called uh, a for example uh, uh, it's based out of uh, texas they're they're doing great things there's finter uh, and um, doorstead uh, it's a uh, there's uh, so many opportunities really that to, to remove a uh, friction from uh, in this process and at the same time make it more seamless to the home buying process has today is a pretty analog you know and you have to deal with a lot of people to to get a home you know and and to uh, swap documents and everything and I, and i think uh, there's a lot of startups that are tackling this space and and are going to come out uh, will we'll come out with uh, great ideas and concepts to to make it more accessible and and a, a more efficient process
0: yeah for sure and I think that there's always innovation out there in the world and, and all you have to do is go out and find it. And personally, I think that what I've done is just like reach out to the startups, like they're interested in any feedback you could give them, especially when it's early stage. If you think that you would be a great part of, the, of their team, just reach out to them. There may be an opening. And that's one thing I always tell people or it's like, Hey, like you want to work for NASA, NASA is probably not hiring high school students or college students right away. And it's maybe very competitive, but if you want to really get a really cool job, you may as well apply to a startup that's doing like space research. I know in Hoboken, New Jersey, there's this company that's out of Stevens, which is called Hudson Systems, something along those lines, which is focusing on helping companies do their research in space. So it's not like NASA, but it's really interesting because they're trying to find ways for biomedical companies to do research on how like organ transplants may be done in space, potentially in the future, because in space you don't have gravity, and therefore your organs can't get crushed. And that's quite an interest. that's such an interesting technology that even NASA isn't focusing on. So I think that there's a bunch of really cool things out there in the world, and you shouldn't be scared to research them. Obviously, if you want to become a lawyer working for a law startup also may not be a bad idea but most likely you're most you want to work for like a big law company in new york city or one of the other big companies i wanted to ask you so currently right now you're working in four different companies and involved with several startups how do you manage all of that
1: it's a challenge and you know and also with an eight-month-old daughter it's a really my my first and most important important job at but I, I, I really try to uh, focus on, you know, on, on getting things organized very early, on setting uh, limits and organize my day, prioritize my daily tasks and don't get absorbed uh, in, uh, on things that basically drain me. And if, if you spent uh, hours doing marketing, a uh, marketing report, for example, and it's not going well, and um, move on and uh, Come back to it later. Try, try to get the most important items done first and come back to those that you, uh, you're struggling with during the time that remains. Second, uh, take breaks. It's super important. It's uh, walking away from your desk or office helps you clear your head. And often if you return refreshed and ready to get back to work, you'll be more productive. It's also better for your health and you're, you're getting up and walking around. Try, try to do it at least once an hour. Lastly, uh, well, I I say don't bring work uh, on your vacation. I sometimes do it, you know, you can't help it. But it's make sure your vacation is all about unwinding. And uh, if you absolutely have to bring some work, uh, limit the amount, set a goal that uh, you only work for a specific tour to a a time. And keep that promise to yourself. Spend the rest of the day lounging, exploring the area. and or set, set time aside for yourself, you know, and call it a me time, meditation, whatever you want. But take that hour or two to where no one can bother you, leave your phone on silent in another room where you can relax, read a book, watch a movie, or go for a walk and be with your family, friends. You no, know, I think it's super yeah. important.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. And we, we had an earlier podcast in the season. They were talking about how, having kids is really beneficial because you get to come home to your kid and your kid always thinks of you as like a superhero and they get more calm around you. And it, you, it's like you have nothing to be sad about. Like around them, you are you just are forced to be happy. In my position currently, I don't have any kids, so I don't have that. And sometimes it's hard to manage work life because you feel like you're working in order to have that life that you want. But one thing that I do do is I find things that I like to do that distress me from work. Right Right now, mental health is super important. And I found that every single day, if I work out, I'm just happier. I'm in the right headspace. I try to listen to podcasts every single day, read the news, which definitely some people get upset about. But I like reading it because I like to see issues that are happening around the world and try to see solutions that are happening there. What do you do to distress uh, from work?
1: things that I enjoy for example I love playing basketball and I try to play basketball at least twice a week and um, also you know meditate uh, I think gratitude also helps you recognize that all the things you have to be thankful for whether you're grateful for a sunny day or or thankful you arrived at work safely mm-hmm. and, and thinking about all the good things you have in life and uh, it really reminds you of all the resources you have to cope with it's stress which can be quite empowering even in a way. and also it's um whenever I'm feeling overwhelmed or stressed, I rely on my on my family friends and and people that you know that that have been there uh, along the way it's, and breathing also is uh, uh, something that I do a lot when I'm stressed.
0: yeah, sounds amazing and wonderfully put. I definitely agree with everything that you said. Thank you so much, Bernard, for coming on to today's podcast. We'll put in the show notes everything that you mentioned during this podcast. And if you have anything to say to the audience, now is your chance.
1: I, I tell them, uh, you know, if I could give you a couple of uh, advices, is uh, don't compare yourself with anyone. Everybody's, everybody's different. And, you know, it's uh, don't ignore your body and health. And also uh, look for opportunities uh, that not only create material value, but also foster social progress. And always keep in mind, uh, as cliche as it sounds, that uh, health is more important than wealth, and all will love at the end.